Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome to today's podcast sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for Hillsdale.com or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Good morning, Glory America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, back inside of Studio West in the ReliefFactor.com studio on the West Coast. Spending the weekend with the grandkids, so I'm ready to go. And uh, beautiful day on the West Coast. The Houthis fired at another oil tanker last night. We returned fire. That's three attacks on commercial shipping in three days. The Houthis, which are... It's Iran. Uh, we can say Hamas, we can say Iran, we say Hezbollah, we can say Iran, we can say the Houthis, we can say Iran. Iran is trying to, and we are on the cusp of a regional war. And get ready, could start this weekend. I do not know how much longer Israel's going to put up with this Hezbollah shelling from the north. Israel finished raising Hamas's main weapons manufacturing zone in central Gaza yesterday. They also managed to kill the head of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad's propaganda unit, and Hezbollah is issuing more warnings. And it's, we're not going to have a government shutdown. And I never even covered that. That's nonsense. We're not going to shut down the government. Netanyahu just said, look, let's get something straight. There's not going to be a Palestinian state. Not in my lifetime, not in yours. And this is blunt talk from the prime minister, which I think is useful for Americans to understand. Tony Blinken talking to Tom Friedman. I listened to the commentary podcast yesterday about the two-state solution. They are otherworldly, and that's why... The former president is likely to beat the current president in their rematch in November. And I do think it's going to be a rematch. Uh, Yesterday, Governor DeSantis was on the program. He's staying in. I mean, he's going to hang around like an NFL team hangs around in the second half within three scores, four scores. Highly unlikely, but he's not going anywhere. Nikki Haley's going to hang around the same way, although if she doesn't win New Hampshire. She had a good town hall last night on CNN uh, and Maybe a million people watched it, but I don't know that it moves the needle. The governor, the former ambassador governor is joining me on Monday, so do not miss that. I was asked by Anderson Cooper, who's an old broadcast colleague, to come on last night. I don't do much cable anymore. I, I like to do Brett Baer. But they said, look, we'll talk for five minutes. Give us your five minutes. Because I had DeSantis on yesterday. made a lot of news because he talked about the news media. They didn't talk about his out-of-the-box discussing Chevron deference and Loper-Bright or Sheldon Whitehouse, the attacks on the Supreme Court are remaking higher ed. And we did substance for the first 15 minutes, and we did horse race for five minutes. And I asked him, what might you have done differently? And he said, I might have done more mainstream media. And the only thing that got covered, because the mainstream media are narcissists, like um, you've always known, was what he said about the mainstream media. But Anderson had me on last night to get my two cents worth. So let, let's play the exchange with uh, between me and Anderson Cooper last night on the election cut 27 or not cut 27. Do we have a stuck machine this morning? Yeah. It, waking up here. Sometimes at the relieffactor.com studio, it's Harley. Sometimes it's Dwayne. Sometimes it's Hugh. Sometimes it's Adam. And sometimes it's a ghost in the machine. And you just have to understand when it's a ghost in the machine, it's a ghost in the machine. I really would like you to go to, uh, I'll, I'll come back in a second. I want to finish this thought. I'd love for you to go to X and find a post that I put up this morning and send it to your friends on the left. Because it makes a very obvious point that I'm going to make in the course of this conversation with Anderson that Jean Carroll, Letitia James, and the Weird Judge, Alvin Bragg, Fannie Willis, Jack Smith one, Jack Smith two, the Colorado Supreme Court, Maine Secretary of State, they have been the former president's best friends. And conservatives and center-right voters see election interference, they know election interference, and they don't like it. All right, here's the cut with Anderson Cooper. Hugh, good to see you. What's, what's your sense from talking to DeSantis about his future? I mean, does, did you feel like he's preparing on some level, at least for the end of his run? Good to see you too, Anderson. Yeah, I do not think he's preparing for the end of the run. I think he's going to run at least through March. Uh, Super Tuesday's got, what, 16 
States voting on March 5th, there another four a week later, another six a week after that. So I think he's geared up to go through March and to be the only person alternative left standing if the ambassador does not prevail in New Hampshire tomorrow. She's way behind in, in South Carolina. After the Iowa avalanche for Trump, it became very obvious that it's a it's a big climb for anyone, Anderson, to beat the former president of the nomination. They allow you to bet on this in Great Britain. He's a one in ten shot to win. Nikki Haley's at eight to one. Ron DeSantis is at 14 to one in England for the Republican nomination. So I think it's going to be a very, very difficult path for either of them. But if Haley loses tonight, Ron DeSantis is going to be the last one left standing up against the former president. Does the plan, I mean, to stay in the race for another month until, you know, certainly through South Carolina, regardless of what happens to Hampshire, I mean, does that make sense to you? Because, I mean, Trump is very popular in South Carolina. It's not as if he's not. I, I don't think I, I don't see a path for Ambassador Haley. I think that's why she sort of ghosted media for the last week. I, I think the Iowa avalanche crushed her. But I do see a potential events happen, things happen that one person left on the race with enough money and some super PAC. Governor DeSantis has got an operation. He's very smart, Anderson, as you know, you've talked to him. I let off the interview this morning talking about Chevron deference and Loper Bright and didn't brief him. And of course, he knew all the Supreme Court law and we went through all the law cases. We'd, he's very, very smart. But is what America wants smart now or do they want another rematch of Trump versus Biden, one that the former president is ahead of in right now? I want to play a clip from your interview where DeSantis talks about where he thinks he went wrong in his campaign. I spent a lot of time on the ground in Iowa, and, and it's good. And when you meet people, you convert them. But there's just so many voters out there that you got to do. And I came in uh, not really doing as much media. Um, I should have just been blanketing. I should have gone on all the corporate sh shows. I should have gone on everything. Do you think, I mean, it is true he did not do that. Was Do you think it was his choice of media outlets that was a problem uh, or, you know, his stiffness on the campaign trail? Because he does seem far more comfortable now. And I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on this. But, he, you know, he seemed really comfortable at that CNN debate with Nikki Haley. I don't know if that was just because it was a two-person debate and therefore it's it's easier to deal with. But, uh, you know, he says he likes being the underdog. My experience, the Salem NBC televised debate in Florida, he was great. Uh, he's been on my radio show eight times in 2023 and 24, eight times. So it's Nikki Haley, eight times. It's conservative syndicated talk to 475 different audiences. I would think people would want to live there. This year, the comms directors, not just Ron DeSantis, but Nikki Haley's and everybody but Chris Christie decided they weren't going to talk to conservatives. They weren't going to talk to anyone and they were going to manage their message. Well, you can't do that against president, the former president because he's ubiquitous. He's everywhere. He gets great ratings. If he showed up at your studio right now, you'd sit down and talk to him for an hour. He wins by showing up. It's something I think is a lesson for future candidates, always take every interview anywhere that's not an inappropriate host. Well, it also seems like Nikki Haley is kind of playing it safe and not taking questions at, at town halls in New Hampshire, which is a tradition, of course, in New Hampshire. Yeah, I went Morgan Ortega's hosted her. I, I go up in the summer to the north, and I went down to one of her town halls. She was superb, and she did take questions. Mm -hmm. But in the last two weeks, I think Iowa really stunned a lot of people. Uh, Anderson, a 50 percent win. I've been doing this for a long time. I've never seen anyone dominate a field the way that uh, in sub-zero temperatures. And they're sub-zero for everyone, right? They're sub-zero for Donald Trump's voters and for Nikki Haley's voters and for Ron DeSantis. He crushed it. And I think that sent a very clear message. Gene Carroll helped him. Letitia James helped him. Jack Smith, two prosecution, Colorado Supreme Court, Maine Supreme Court. All of these people are helping Donald Trump get nominated and they're doing a heck of a good job of it. And the president, the former president's not hurting himself either. <laughs> Hugh Hewitt, uh, good to talk to you as always. Thank you. And I do believe that. Uh, it's un I don't think you'll hear mainstream media talk about this, but the cumulative effect of Jean Carroll, Letitia James, the judge with the wild hair, that's the civil proceedings, the cumulative effect of Jack Smith and mar lago never done before, the wild theories he's come up with in D.C., which I think will be thrown out eventually. I think they that the former president will get convicted by a D.C. jury, but this coffee pot could get convicted by a D.C. jury. I do think the idiocy of the Colorado Supreme Court and the complete moron that they've got as the main secretary of state, uh, it's all, and Fannie Wells being corrupt, hiring her lover and paying him $600,000. It's all going to help Donald Trump get the nomination. But I don't expect... Ron DeSantis to drop out or Nikki Haley to drop out. Uh, 
Donald Trump last night on uh, Fox with Hannity, cut number 25. The Supreme Court is going to say we're not going to take the vote away from the people. Now, Biden is a threat to democracy. He's an absolute threat to democracy. He's very dangerous for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's grossly incompetent, which is the number one reason. But he's also actually in his own way. It's not him. It's the people that surround him. You got some very bad people surrounding him at that desk. You have people running the Department of Justice surrounding him. They're young and they're smart and they're communists and they're Marxists and they're fascists. And they're running this country. They're running it right into the ground. But I don't think the Supreme Court would do it because uh, you can't take the vote. You know, I'm leading in every poll. I'm leading Biden, but I'm leading the remaining oh, yeah, the Republicans, poll, two of them, and they're the barely hanging on. Poll. How can you possibly take the vote away? Uh, you can't. And, and the point I was making to Anderson, everybody sees that the Democrats are using lawfare and that individuals are attempting to deny people the right to vote. And they're attempting to deny that the border is wide open. And they're attempting to deny that we're not ready for world war. Joe Biden is the weakest, most infirm president I've ever had. And you've ever had. And Donald Trump is going to draft off of that weakness all the way to the nomination and probably the election. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Come right back. Morning, glory, America. Good to have you with me. As I was saying to Anderson Cooper on CNN last night, it is legal to bet on the presidential election in Great Britain. It is not legal to bet on political campaigns in the United States. So I watch the odds, but money's money, right? People don't throw their money away. In Great Britain right now, the odds that you will get, Donald Trump 6 to 5, Joe Biden 15 to 8, Nikki Haley 10 to 1, Michelle Obama 12 to 1, Gavin Newsom 18 to 1, Ron DeSantis 25 to 1, Kamala Harris 40 to 1, uh, Robert Kennedy, 25 to 1. That's crazy. All other candidates at 100 to 1 or higher. Now, that means it's going to be Trump-Biden if the betters know what they're doing. And the betters, you know, betting is just a question of laying off one against the other. Republican nominee odds. Donald Trump is 1 in 10. So you have to bet $10 to win one, which is not really a good way to win money at betting. Nikki Haley is 8 to 1. Ron DeSantis is 14 to 1. Those aren't terrible odds. I've, I've won on horses at the Derby that have gone off at 14 to 1. And Tim Scott's at 100 to 1. So the reality is Nikki Haley wins on Tuesday night, or I think she's done. And Ron DeSantis hangs around, collects money, delegates, does every talk radio show in the world, every cable appearance, and hangs around and prays. But it looks like Donald Trump and President Biden rematch. So Donald Trump last night opens up on Nikki Haley. He's talking with uh, Sean Hannity on Fox, cut number 26. Well, I know it and I know it very well, but we also have to win, Sean. If I were uh, a different type of person, I think I would have been out of office a long time ago. You wouldn't have even gone through it. They hit me with Russia, Russia, Russia before the election even. I mean, if you look at it, it was before the 2016 election. It was all set up. And I fired Comey. I did a big job. We got rid of a lot of the deep state. And I will tell you, uh, you know, then we had the COVID come two and a half years later. But nobody ever had a better economy. We had the greatest economy in the history of our country. We had the strongest border in the history of our country. I built over 500 miles of wall. We got Mexico to give us 28,000 free soldiers, free of charge. Not that easy to get, by the way. I had to do a lot of maneuvering, including tariffs and other things to get it. But we, uh, you know, by the way, speaking of tariffs, we took in hundreds of billions of dollars for, from China. And of that, we gave $28 billion to our farmers because they were abused by China. What China did to our farmers was horrible. And we did a great job for our country. You know, again, the largest tax cuts in history. The Democrats want to double up and triple up on the, on the taxes. They want to double your taxes and triple your taxes. I got you the biggest, bigger than the Reagan tax cuts. You and I were talking about that the other day. And you called up about uh, the Reagan cuts and our cuts. Our cuts were substantially bigger. We got rid of the death tax or the estate tax for farmers and small manufacturers. You know, I mean, what we did was an amazing thing. Those tax cuts. And and getting back and getting back to your one part of the question, though, we did all of that. And we had to fight off all of the witch hunts and the scandals and the the horrible self. These people, what they did. 
Russia, 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 Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. 51 intelligence agents saying that the laptop from hell was created by Russia, not by Hunter Biden. Okay, it was Hunter Biden all the way. They They lied to Congress. They lied to everybody. Two impeachments that went nowhere. They went absolutely nowhere. But I mean, if I were a softer individual, and I'll tell you something, Ron DeSantis or Nikki or anybody else, if they were in my position, if they were here, they would have been hit just as hard. These people play tough, much tougher than the Republicans play. And the Republicans have to get tougher. But Nikki would, I know Nikki very well. She worked for me for a long time. She would not be able to handle that position. She would not be able to handle the onslaught. With all of that being said, within the Republican Party, I want to bring unity. And within the nation, I want to bring unity. And, you know, unity is going to come from success because when we had this country prior to COVID and then even after COVID, but especially prior to COVID, the China virus coming in, we had the most successful country ever in history. There's never been anything like it. What we Meanwhile, on CNN, Nikki Haley says this cut 22. No, I think everything needs to play out. I think it's important that that happens. And I honestly think President Trump would want that to happen. If he wants to defend himself and prove that he has been treated, you know, the wrong way or whether it's political, I think he would want to fight for that. You know, you they, only they were to- both very good last night. But the electoral reality, the Iowa avalanche is that. And I think Kristen Inu gave the game away. We'll talk with Ambassador Haley on Monday. She's got a very busy schedule today, tomorrow, uh, Sunday and Monday. And part of that is this show. But it, I don't know why she went dark for a week to 10 days. Her father has been sick and prayers for the recovery of her father. Coming right back. America, bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Ben Dominich is my guest editor at large at The Spectator, Fox News contributor. Ben, good morning. I saw you yesterday on Larry Kudlow's show, and I stayed long. I don't usually watch a lot of cable, but I wanted to watch you talk. But the young lady had a lot to say. It took a long time to get to you. Did you notice that? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I haven't been on with Caroline uh, uh, before, but uh, uh, from uh, National Review, and uh, but she definitely had uh, had a lot of things to say. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would say it was funny with, to me. I, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I was. I'll be quite honest with you. Just behind the scenes, I had done two podcasts, a debate with uh, Tommy Laren on the abortion issue, and, I, and it was my second hit of the day. So I was perfectly happy to take a back seat. <laughs> there, there are times when we are. There, there are times. I did cable last night with Anderson, and I don't do much anymore. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's that season, so I'll go talk to Anderson Cooper about the presidential race. But let me begin, Ben, with my assessment, something I wrote on Twitter I want to get your reaction to and then talk about it. The vast majority of GOP voters and I suspect most independents and some Democrats both reject the legitimacy of and deeply resent the interference in the 2024 election by Gene Carroll, Letitia James and the weird judge, Alvin Bragg, Fannie Willis, Jack Smith one, Jack Smith two, the Colorado Supreme Court and the Maine Secretary of State. Whatever a voter thinks of the merits or absence of merits on any one or more of these proceedings, the undeniable Gatling gun of courtroom proceedings against the former president Throughout 2023 and accelerating just as voting begins has solidified a strongly held view on both the center right and among conservatives that elites are using lawfare to disturb the 2024 vote and as COVID was used to disturb the 2020 vote. What do you think, Ben? Am I nuts? I don't think you're nuts. Um, I think that that's a suspicion that a lot of people share. And I think that when it comes to independent voters, in my own experience, uh, the ones who I you know talk to regularly, and I, I would say that that's mostly who I talk to. Uh, that is something that is expressed quite regularly, in some, usually in some form of, man, they're really trying to take him out, you know, or something like yeah. that. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a feeling of uh, an expression of like of kind of shock at, at the sheer scale of it. And I think that, you know, I can't remember if we discussed this on, on your program or not, you know, back um, several months ago. But one of the things that I pointed out, uh, you know, almost a year ago now is. It really seems to me that they should have put more of their eggs in one basket as opposed to letting all these different prosecutions and pursuits uh, that are clearly designed, uh, you know, mostly out of the political interests of the prosecutors involved, of the figures involved, that they should have really just stuck to a, a more narrow focus if they really wanted to send the message that they were serious about this and that this was not 
a politically motivated attempt to destroy uh, their strongest uh, political opponent. And I think that their mistake in, in going as far as they did is, one, if the, if the actual you know craven motive was to boost uh, Donald Trump's uh, stature within the primary to basically you know decide that he's going to be the nominee by focusing on him, and I personally don't think that was actually the case, even though... No, I, I don't think history. it's a conspiracy. I just think yeah. it's, it's it's a cumulative like, effect it, of people are yeah. weary of this crap, and yeah. it's and, helped Trump. And they, and, and, they feel that, and they feel that whether it's, you know, conspiracy or not, this is something that is really untoward. And I think that actually the one, the, the, the kind of final straw was were these attempts to start removing him from the ballot. Yeah. I think that for, for any independent voter... Who has and, and people people pretend like these people don't exist, but they actually are the most critical population when it comes to deciding who ends up being the president. For the independent voter who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 because they didn't like Hillary, and then voted for Joe Biden, and there are a lot more of them, by the way, than I think people understand. That's something that absolutely turns them off because they voted per, perhaps for Biden because they believed, you know, they were just exhausted after you know the COVID and and the George Floyd summer and everything else and and. That came with uh, the chaotic nature of the Trump years, and they just like, well, I just want to get back to normalcy. I just want to not care who the president is. And then they look around here, you know, uh, almost four years later, and they say, this doesn't feel like normalcy at all. They're trying to take him off the ballot. They, yeah. They're saying the guy that I voted for in 16 is unacceptable to vote for. And that's something that I think absolutely turns them off. And we believe in self-rule. I watched the, the Colorado Secretary of State embarrass herself on CNN last night. The main secretary of state is this ACLU move on dot org activist. And the idea that that bureaucrats are going to decide and judges who we vote for yeah. it deeply offensive. Second thing I need your reaction to. There is a supplemental. It's got money for Taiwan, money for Israel, money for Ukraine. And it's got something in the border on here. My opinion. Uh, again, Twitter. Top headline, New York Times. How Biden's immigration fight threatens his biggest foreign policy win. The wide open border is killing Joe Biden's reelection, I write. And if the GOP stands by the demand for 900 miles of wall, authorized notwithstanding any other law and funded, it will win in the fall. The GOP must make the security of the United States a central issue of the 2024 election. And that starts with this supplemental bill with aid for Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine and the border. Speaker Johnson has to get the 900 miles of wall. Now, they want to give us other things, Ben. And I've talked to senators on and off the record. They want to give us parole changes. In a, I want the 900 miles of wall because it's the signal among the noise. Where are you on this? And am I going to get my way? No deal or 900 miles of wall? Well, first off, you know, I am, you know, I think we've discussed before. I'm 100 percent with you on this, I think. Again, this is a binary. It either exists or it doesn't. Uh, and it's something that Americans can look at and say, OK, all right, now that we've done that, then we can discuss all these other things. But unless it exists, there's no point. Uh, secondly, I don't think you're going to get what you want on this. And I think that uh, Republicans are very unwise in giving uh, the Biden administration the, the a semblance of a win on something like this when it is such a critical issue and it's not going to make things better. It's not going to improve things. And it, I think that that alone should be, you know, a, a non-starter. Um, unfortunately, I think that, you know, you have, look, Speaker Johnson seems like a, a nice fellow. I've met him a couple times. Uh, you know, he obviously did not have a, a any kind of experience negotiating big packages like this beforehand. Uh, and I think that you see that lack of, of experience reflected a bit in the approach here. But also, I think the decisions about who we put in there from the Senate side were also ones that were questionable in terms of, you know, the negotiating approach that we've had. And that's something that I think is, is going to be a real damage for Republicans if they end up kind of giving uh, their voters less than half a loaf even on this. It's uh, not even a quarter loaf. It it's going to yeah. kill McCormick in Ohio. It's going to kill uh, in Pennsylvania. It's going to kill Ohio. It's going to kill Sheehy in Montana, Kerry Lake in Arizona. Our why guy in why Nevada. are you throwing a, they, a lifeline to Sherrod Brown? I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Uh, you know, why I don't, I don't why do we not get a speaker who yeah. goes out and says, look, I'll sign this thing if it's got 900 miles of wall. They don't even know how to define how to win. It's like yeah. they don't know how to play poker, Ben. 
I don't I don't think that they understand the way that this is, you know, and it's funny because the people who are most passionate about this issue and obviously, you know, I've you know known a lot of them for a long time. These uh, you know border focused people who understand uh, the differences involved here. I just think that for a lot of folks who, who have not been paying attention to the way these negotiations go, they don't know how to define victory in a public facing way. Exactly. Uh, stick to that line. And that's what you've got to do in order to I mean, this is basic approaches to politics. You have to define what victory looks like from your own perspective for your own people and then hold the line on that. Can you explain that again? I want uh, their senators listening. This is the key thing. They do not know how to do what Ben is talking about. Explain that again, Ben Dominich. It's it's very simple. You can't let the other Mm -hmm. side define victory for you. You have to define victory yourself and then you have to hold your people to that line and and repeat it over and over in a public-facing manner so that people have a clear understanding of what your aim is and what the other side is providing. Preventing. And it's, unless you do that, unless you do that, you allow the other side to determine in their own Michigan, their own, you know, sort of um, uh, meandering language, what the definition of of a good step forward is or, or a, a positive you know, thing on the Oh, good. We're working together to make sure that these border issues are addressed. No, you can't do that. You have to define victory and then hold the line on. Ben, I, I wish you would send that to every single senator right now. They've <laughs> defined victory as changes to the parole rules and some asylum procedures. It, it will not, it will destroy the party. I, I mean, yeah. I think Republicans like me who are moderate on immigration, we just can't take 8 million people in three years. We can't. I'm yeah. going to talk about this after the break. Moderates on immigration will say, that's it, I'm done. Because Yeah, and I mean, Jamie Dimon's one of the smartest guys who's been, you know, in his field. And when he's saying, hey, you know, Trump was pretty much right about immigration, that should tell you something about where the moderate line now exists in terms of that policy. And and it's not that hard for Speaker Johnson, and I I, I think you're right about experience, to come out and say, I don't ask for much. You build me my 900 miles of wall and give me a couple other things and I'm good. If he said that 100 times, we would have won already. Yeah, I, I think, and I think that that's something that just speaks to, you know, we, we have people who we thrust into these roles who don't necessarily have the experience of, of having to go down uh, these roads and to find these packages in terms that people can understand, uh, you know, bills that, that the average American is never going to read or pay much attention to. Uh, but until you actually uh, make that definition yourself, uh, you allow the other side to define it for you. So, Ben, quick, I saw you mentioning Robert O'Brien, Ambassador O'Brien. As the vice presidential nominee yesterday, I also think that's pretty shrewd. Cotton, Gallagher, there are a few others. What are the odds you put on O'Brien being the beat? Oh, I think I think it's pretty low, but I think he would be pretty suited to the moment. Let's put it that. I know Arizona and Nevada being a member of the LDS would matter a lot. It's going to be a close election. We shall see. B. Dominich on X. Thank you, Ben Dominich. Have a great weekend. I'll be right back on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. I received yesterday, the Fetching Mrs. Hewitt and I received yesterday, our annual letter from City Life Church. Now, eight years ago, City Life Church opened in the Mount Hope neighborhood of San Diego, America's finest city. It's a tough neighborhood. A lot of crime, a lot of violence, a lot of fentanyl, a lot of homeless people. But the Baptist opened up, planted a church there. And the pastor asked for help, and we think it's a frontline church, and we love the people running it, and so we help it. It's one of the churches that we support. So we get their annual letter, and and we know the pastor and the Mrs. Pastor and the kids pretty well after many years. I want people to understand conservatives who want the wall are not heartless. We understand what's going on. And I was reading this last night. The, the church building, they finally got to buy a building and they've spent a year getting working showers, bathrooms, a kid's room, a, a pantry. The pastor's working himself to death. They've got Narcan deaths all around them. They've got addiction all around them. And in one of these paragraphs, he writes, I'm so thankful our pantry is a true resource to our community. People often receive while others and even other churches bring out of abundance. Having a building in Mount Hope is a whole new level of rootedness. I love walking every Sunday to our building while inviting people off the streets to join us. It feels right. One of my stressors early after purchasing the building was to fix up the adjacent house and get it used for ministry. We had to replace 15 windows. Every time I thought it wouldn't end up running it out, something didn't work out. 
And since we were losing $2,800 a month on the house, it felt pressing. But every proverbial window closed. I didn't feel good about renting the house to someone who didn't understand the community who could hurt our witness in Mount Hope. So it sat. Spiderwebs filled the rooms. Then I got a call. There were nine Haitian refugees who had walked 1,000 miles from South America. And there was a ministry that would be willing to pay toward their rent. This was it. Felt like what we were waiting for. They've been here almost eight months now, and I'm so thankful. They speak Creole and Portuguese. We speak Spanish with each other. They, quote, shot from our food pantry. We've worked to get them the things they need. Some of our people have been able to get them clothes, beds, pillows, couches, even cosmetics for the women that requested it. Another church brought us a microwave. The Haitian families are adjusting to life in the United States. They confuse trash with the recycling. They are starting to learn how to get around on the bus. Today, a pregnant woman is receiving a new bed from one of our Bible study groups. The family said they would name the child after me. Flattered, I'm not sure that would actually help. I don't think it would, actually. Not much of a Latino name there. I absolutely love our church. Page two, I skipped a lot. It's draining at times. I get frequent calls from prison asking for help and support that I sometimes have to ignore. But I'm often overjoyed to see our little church making a difference. We are sharing the gospel with this whole community, seeking justice and living in community. And they help a thousand people this year. That's what Christians do. And at the same time, we are called to be good citizens. And the United States cannot have an open border. That Haitian family took up the one house in Mount Hope that had been rehabbed by a church plant eight years ago, and now it's full. And that's good. And they're doing God's work. They're feeding the poor. That which you do to the least of me, you do to, to my friend. And you want to support City Life Church in San Diego, it's great. They got a big mortgage and, and they got a little money and very few people, but they do church. They are Christians in the greatest sense of the word. And they're Baptists, so I don't share theology with them, but I just think they do frontline work. Most conservatives are like me. Most conservatives want to take care of the people who've come into this country. We want them. We know that 95% of them will be productive. We all know we are immigrants. We know all the cliches. James Hewitt got here in 1868, went to work in a coal mine. And I'm sitting here talking to you today. It happens in America because we're a free country. But there is a limit. We cannot take in 8 million people a year over the southern border and expect them to be. It's inhuman. It is monstrous what happens to people on that walk. We have to stop it. And so Republicans have to say no deal without the wall. The wall is the visible expression of our invisible resolve to control the border and to take care of the people on this side of it, including Americans and recent immigrants, and we will. But we just can't have an open border. And I think it would be useful if, ben, as Ben Dominich pointed out, we define victory right now. That aid to Taiwan, Israel, Ukraine, all good, all for the national security. And we have to build the wall and we have to build it this year. And we're not passing anything that does not do that. And please, Senate Republicans, get the message. We're going to get crushed if you do anything else. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. I am Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening on this Friday. I hope you have a great weekend planned. I got the schedule for Ambassador Haley, and she's working hard this weekend. She was on CNN last night. She said this about being a Joan Jett superfan, which is kind of interesting. Cut 23. You know, what I love about her is here she was. She was one of the first rockers, like true rockers. And the industry... Didn't like the way she looked. Didn't like the way she acted. They didn't look at the talent. They just automatically pushed her aside for things that she, that were just who she was. And she never gave up. And she kept pushing and she kept pushing no matter how much they discounted her and made it like she was never going to make it to the point that they're selling albums out of the trunk of her car. And finally, when no record company would sign her, She and her agent came out with their own record label. And that was the one that had the songs like I Love Rock and Roll, 
Crimson and Clover, Bad Reputation, all these songs came out because of it. And when she got into the, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like what a lesson that is, right? That don't all your life. But the fact that she persisted, the fact that she continued to go forward, and the fact that she just was a badass. I love every <laughs> bit of that. I no, do. You see, I, I play this because Nikki Haley is fabulous on television. I do not know what happened to her in the last two weeks. She's back on the trail. I got from her team this morning. She's at Kay's Cafe in Hampton this morning. Marianne's Diner in Amherst later today. Grill 603 in Milford. The Get Out the Vote rally in Manchester tonight. Tomorrow she's in Keene with Mayor Hansel uh, at the Keene Country Club. She's going to go to Peterborough with Congressman Bass. She's meeting and greeting in Ringe. She's going down to Peddler's Daughter in Nashua, get out the vote rally in Nashua. I'm on in both Nashua and Keene, by the way, and in Manchester. And I, I couldn't get her book this whole week. She's on Monday. I'm just, I'm just astonished by her comm team. Get out the vote rally in Derry on Monday. Uh, she's going to go Beach Plum on Monday. Seabrook at Lobster Pound on Monday. Exeter, New Hampshire, get out the vote rally. And on Monday, um, that was on Sunday. On Monday... She's going to Franklin. She's going to Concord, T-Bones. Going to Backyard Brewery in Manchester, which I've been to, by the way. A good place to go. Red's Tavern in Wyndham and a Get Out the Eve rally. And she's on this show on Monday. And so she's doing, in these four days, 15 events. That's what I, I... I don't know why I've not gotten anything like this before. And I do not know why I could not get her booked on this show for three weeks. It, it's astonishing to me what her comms team did. I do want you to know that she likes Joan Jett, and she's really good at it. I like John Androzik. Five for Fighting is our friend. John released, and I want you to watch the Salem News Channel right now. Go over and watch this, because I want you to watch the music video. Public release yesterday, okay. And I want you to hear it all, so let's play, okay. I'm going to give you four words. We are not all right. We are not all right when we see young girls pulled from their home and dragged through the streets. When we see grandmothers being pulled away to children shot in front of their families. We are not all right when right here in the city of New York you have those who celebrate at the same time when the devastation is taking place in our city. This is a time for choosing. This is a time to
Don recorded this at the site of the rave on 10-7, where the Hamas barbarians murdered and raped and pillaged and plundered and brutalized and tortured people. John's got a great heart. He was there for Ukraine. He was there for the people at Abbey Gate. He was there for 9-11, and he wrote Superman. And he does this whenever something moves him, and it's always top drawer, and it's always worth Please send it. I posted it over at X, the link, and I would encourage you to go to X and send the link everywhere far it's and wide. such a powerful song. I, uh, a very, very powerful song, and it, it reminds people it's only been 105 days, and the war is going to go on a long time, and the war is going to spread to the north. You see, I think 10-7 has changed everything for this election. We cannot afford to have the infirm Joe Biden be president and the appeasement circle around him be president. We have to get aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, and we have to build the border wall. These are must-haves, and it's what the campaign should be about. And the Senate GOP and the House GOP should lay their markers on the ground and say we are for protecting American national security We are the party of strength. This is why, by the way, I think that we need uh, a vice presidential candidate early and a cabinet early. Uh, Generalissimo, you can run for vice president. MyPhDWeightLoss.com will let you run for vice president. You're in shape to run for vice president. 864-1900. That's 864-1900. Because you're skinny now, and you've got to be skinny if you're going to be running for vice president. So vice president... Radio blogger, what do you think? Um, what's what state do I give uh, whoever the nominee? You don't. Is? You're not worth anything, actually. Other than you can probably get the campaign on the air. Well, on thanks, a boss. Notice. No, I mean as an electoral boost. Oh, okay. You probably don't, not. No, but you can get the campaign on the air. I, I think might you get the bald fine, vote. I might get the bald vote. You would also get. You would be a fine comms director, as opposed to. The 15 comms directors we've dealt with this cycle. Now, that's probably true. <clears throat> you actually know media. I've been around it a little bit. They're, they're turning it over to younger and younger people who think it's more important and to, to appear know on less less. CNN for five seconds than to be on Mark Levin's yes. show for an hour. Yes. I really don't get it. Yes. Uh, MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Go and lose the weight you must lose. I'll be right back, America. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Welcome back, America. Sarah C. Bedford, leading political and investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner, joins me as she does most Fridays. Good Friday to you, Sarah. Do you think this race is over for the Republican nomination? I think it's been over for a while. I mean, the the polling has showed that Donald Trump was very far ahead and his performance in Iowa really closely matched the polls. I mean, they were accurate this time around. He's far outperformed the way that he he did in Iowa in 2016 when he won the nomination. And no message from any other candidate has really broken through even even a little bit (laughs) this whole time. I think ever since he was indicted last spring and he started consolidating the Republican vote, this primary has been pretty much over. The, The Iowa avalanche a week ago or this week was pretty massive. And I think it buried a lot of the momentum that Ambassador Haley had. She's gone dark for a week. She's out on the trail this weekend today, and she'll be on the show on Monday. If she loses New Hampshire and South Carolina, she's done, right? That leaves Ron DeSantis as the guy hanging around just in case something happens. I think even if she wins in New Hampshire, the win will most likely be narrow because there aren't any polls really predicting that she has anything approaching a commanding 
uh, lead, then the primary electorate goes back to looking more like Iowa after New Hampshire and South Carolina, her home state. Then you do get into redder states that, again, the territory will switch back to being friendlier to Donald Trump. So even with a narrow win, I mean, that might help her have more of a narrative. But in terms of, you know, whether the playing field is tilted towards Nikki Haley, it's just not after New Hampshire and Donald Trump. The support for him is just bigger and more widespread. So the former president puts her away, probably in New Hampshire and South Carolina. We don't know for sure. I'll talk to her on Monday. If he does that, then on Super Tuesday, it's put Ron DeSantis away or not. That's where we come down to. And we'll we'll catch up at that. In the meantime, there will be a negotiation over the supplemental, Sarah Bedford. Uh, President Biden has said he must have Ukraine funding, Taiwan funding and Israel funding. The Republicans agree, but they want border security. The Senate Republicans want changes here and there, little snips, little jobs. The House Republicans want 900 miles of wall. President Trump wants 900 miles of wall. I do not believe a bill will pass without 900 miles of wall. What do you think? I think that's right. I mean, H.R. 2 does have funding for that, and it gives DHS the ability to turn people away at the border more aggressively. And while the Senate deal, you know, gets at some of the changes that Republicans have wanted, like raising the threshold for, you know, claiming credible fear for asylum and addressing some of these parole abuses that the Biden administration has engaged in, it's just not enough. And for Republicans, I think their calculation, especially in the House, is why would we give Joe Biden something, a shield against the criticism that he deserves for creating this crisis? And so for Republicans, there's not a lot of incentive to help him out with something that doesn't make the kind of meaningful changes that are needed when there's a chance to put a Republican in the White House, you know, almost exactly a year from now and make those changes, you know, permanent and more significant. This is where good policy would be good politics. It is good policy to build the wall. It is good policy to change parole and asylum rules. But you've got to do it all or it's bad policy. You can't do a partial fix. But I am I am a mystified because Leader McConnell does not make many mistakes. and I'm a huge fan of his that they have set the bar so low in their ask. And I I really don't believe they have any idea how badly the blowback is going to come on them if they come up with this deal. So, Sarah, do you think do you think they will toughen their demand that the Senate will demand the 900 miles of wall? I think if they were going to, they sort of would have already. We're already at the point where Democrats are talking about the concessions they need to move forward with the asks from Republicans in the Senate. They've made those asks weeks ago. It's hard to see them coming up with a new one. But I think, you know, the problem is that for Democrats, they've defined their entire immigration position in opposition to Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, rightly or wrongly, has sort of branded the wall as his own thing, even though it's been a proposal that's been around. It's a tried and true uh, thing. But, But for whatever reason, the wall is now so closely associated with Donald Trump that I think Democrats, even if they recognize the practicality of that, can't be for it because Donald Trump is for it. And so that's why I don't think you see I it. Think as you're right. I, you know, I've been writing about the wall or a big double sided fence with a road between it since 2004, since my book. Um, if it's not close, they can't cheat. I wrote about it in 2006 in the book, painting the Matt Reb. This is long before Trump. The wall has been a Republican priority forever, Sarah Bedford. And abandoning it, I want to give you the last word. Do you think it gets out of the Senate in this form? And if so, do the House Republicans reject it? I think yes to the first question. I do think that some sort of deal is going to come together. There's really no side White House, Senate Democrats, Senate Republicans who are saying it's not. But no, I don't think House Republicans are going to advance it, and especially not now that Speaker Mike Johnson looks kind of precarious because of the way the the separate the spending talks have unfolded. He has no incentive to go out on a limb for a bipartisan deal that might cost him his speaker's gavel. So, no, I I don't think we see this advance out of that. Now, Speaker Johnson needs to go out and say 900 miles of wall or go home. I mean, that's what he if if he gets it. It's a win. As Ben Dominic said, he has to learn how to define a win. Here, the win is the 900 miles of wall. Sarah C. Bedford on X at the Washington Examiner. Great to see you. Have a great Friday. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager. 
Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.